Thank you for tuning in to Authentic Voices with Lauren Whitney, where real people are inspiring real people daily. And remember this, conversation plus education equals change. So let's talk, get educated, and be the change. Are you ready? Let's go. Chapter 1, Black in the Cycle. The war on black continues to reveal itself on the news through murder rates, our prison statistics, and high school graduation and college enrollment numbers, police brutality, inequality in the workplace, stereotyped fetishes of the black body and experience, and furthermore, through the world's depiction of black. How do we redefine the image of black? How do we break racial stereotypes set in prison black? Are we educated on black? Can we be color brave, as Melody Hobson says, and discuss the issues of black in the cycle? All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. This is episode one, and we have Reverend Jared Moppin on. Hello, Reverend Moppin. Thank you for having me. Glad to be on the program. Oh, so glad to have you on. So for all my listeners out there, I just want to give you um, a little introduction of Reverend Moppin. He is out of Arizona, out of Phoenix, Arizona, and he is a civil rights activist. He is a reverend, as we know. Um, He's making huge change in Arizona, and not in just Arizona, but just worldwide. Um, He's been from everywhere to the Capitol. Um, He's been doing some really, really amazing things. And it's funny, actually, even as I introduce you and say civil rights activists, I think to myself, we have modern day civil rights activists. That's quite, quite empowering. So Reverend Maupin, tell us a little bit about what you do, what you've been doing, and kind of what your hopes are going forward. Well, I think what I do and what a, what a lot of people in our generation are doing um, is in, in many ways what, what a lot of people have done uh, throughout you know, the, the history of our country, and that is stand up for what I call the inherent worth and dignity um, of, of every man and woman. And, and these days, uh, as it has been for, it seems like forever, um, men and, and women and young people and seniors of color uh, seem to be at risk more so than any other group. And so it's uh, a calling, I think, uh, for me and, and for many to uh, be a voice for those people. They often have no voice and to to uh, champion their issues uh, because if the world can be made better for them, uh, it'll be better for everybody. Absolutely. You know, something that has been in the news a lot lately, we keep seeing our young black boys <laughs> on the news and unfortunately we don't see them alive. We see them dead due to police brutality or to violence. And I know you've been doing a lot of work on that end. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely, you know, it's, it's no secret the disproportionate uh, effects that police brutality and uh, racial profiling and uh, uh, law enforcement violence and policy and procedure violations are having uh, on people, but it's, it's exacerbated uh, again, disproportionately on on black men, particularly young black men, millennials, the generation underneath that, um, and it's it's destroying 
the social structure and fabric of, of our communities, when you have police uh, killing people like Stefan Clark in Sacramento, you know, shot 10 times in his own backyard, you, you have yeah. police uh, killing uh, 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 Rashid or Saheed Vessel uh, just recently uh, in um, uh, New York, you know, um, uh, mentally ill, suffering from some illness, but harmless in the community, you know, uh, sort of that person with difficulties, but everybody loves him. They killed him. He had a he had a shower head and pipe in his hand. They said that they thought that he had a gun. And these are just the latest. You know, there's there's thirteen other shootings uh just this year that are that are in uh in that mold of police killing young black men, unarmed young black men, young black men in their, you know, I, I hate to say it, but when they target us uh, and paint such an animalistic picture you know, these are young black men who are unarmed in their natural habitat, in the in the ghettos, in the inner cities, the places where they should be safe um, and where they should be around community. Uh, but they're being killed. And you know, it's very violent. It's very traumatic for everyone in the community. And it's uh, it's, it's hard to keep hope alive when you see stuff like that happening. So, so Reverend Mop, and I actually want to go back a second. You, you talked about how um, there's been like these animalistic pictures basically painted of our young black men. And, you know, we're talking about black in the cycle. This is a chapter that we're on. And one of the things that came to mind when I said, let's do a chapter on black in the cycle is really around the images that are created of who black people are, specifically black men. You know, we see the fetish over black women's bodies, but as black men, you know, we see this um, image that's painted where your sca- there's a, a fear is induced and anger is induced. And I want to know, how do we even begin to change that? How do we begin to change the way that we as people see our Black men? I think that we have to do some of that in, internally in the community from, from the beginning, from the days of, of slavery, when Black people first arrived in this country, the Black man was painted as an over-sexualized, overly aggressive uh, non-familial, non-emotional, uh, just savage, uh, unrefined um, caricature, and and mm-hmm. nothing could be further from the truth. You know, uh, these these were men who came uh, in the 1600s. They were Muslims. They were Jews. They were Christians. Uh, they were families and tribal leaders. Not to get too far into you know, the, the history, but to give context, that's, that's never who we've been. We've always been scientists and agricultural uh, uh, revolutionaries and, and poets and, and thought leaders and faith leaders. And, and we've kept that from slavery until now. But I think some of, of what um, white society or law enforcement has been able to take uh, comes from that perspective that we're sort of the untamed uh, man. Uh, that uh, that we're defined by a piece of artistry like hip hop, or we're defined by a piece of culture like gang culture that isn't the predominant or presiding, uh, you know, culture for a whole group of people. And and should people be demonized and and uh, again, you know, made uh, to be viewed in such an uh, such an animalistic way um, because of certain aspects of the culture that are expressions of a lot of the racial and economic oppression that we go through. So internally, I think we've got some turning around to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the keys of the civil rights movement and organizing in the inner city is helping people to feel strong enough to articulate who they are and strong enough to articulate what they believe in. 
that's good. strong enough to, you know, affirm their their humanity, that inherent worth and dignity that every person has. And it's it's difficult to do that sometimes because on the flip side of your question, there there are a lot of people, uh, black people, young black men especially, that that see white society or others in society and they say that person doesn't even recognize that I'm a human being. Hmm. Wow. You know, it's crazy because you said <laughs> so many of, of these images are defined by history. And you say, oh, well, not to get too deep into history. Well, actually, I think you have to get deep into history. You know, um, if we don't know our history, then there's no way that we can begin to redefine it. There's no way that we can make a, a new stance of who we are and, and paint a new picture for ourselves. And the truth is, is some of these, these stereotypes and these images that have been put on our black men, I think were really put on, like you said, through slavery, right? So our men grew up thinking that they are one way, only one way. But like you said, we are definitely more than that. We're, we're doctors, we're lawyers, we are scientists. Um, we were president, <laughs> you know? So, so there's, there's much more that we, we can be and that we are. Um, but specifically getting back on topic about what's happening in our community right now, as we are seeing every day on the news, you know, I, I, I call it our trending topics. Our trending topic is, oh, another young black guy shot, another young black man shot, a, a young black boy shot. You know, we hear this over and over again to the point where we actually, I feel like there's become some numbness that has begun to happen with our people. So we have this like Black Lives Matter movement that is still propelling, still powerful, but I want to know for someone who's not necessarily going out on, you know, the front line and saying, hey, I'm going to march or I'm going to go protest. How how do they be the change? How are you the change? I think one of the, the most powerful things people can do individually uh, that, that don't have the luxury or the time or or there are any number of barriers that keep people from coming to the front lines. Although I think most people do find themselves there from time to time as an advocate or a victim. Uh, is to inform themselves. There's a saying I have, you know, text without context is pretext. A lot mm. of what you get from the news... Say that one more time. Uh, text without context is pretext. And a lot of what you get from the news is it's it's pretext. You know, it, it's the pretextual. It's the profiling. It's the, you know, the, the information war that's going on. It's the spin that's being put on, you know, a terrible social ill like police brutality like police killings of unarmed black people, men and women. So it's important to inform yourself and educate yourself so that you, you can place the information you're receiving in context. A lot of people hear it and they're numb to it because it's just another killing or it's just another unarmed black person that got killed or we've seen this before, we've been through this before. Each one is different. Each one is equally as morally outrageous as the last. And when kept in context... It helps people to understand this is a real problem and my vote needs to reflect that. Where I spend my money needs to reflect that. Where I choose to live needs to reflect that. Uh, how uh, I interact with others outside of my community needs to reflect that. And that's what I think builds that. It, informing yourself on the issue, it helps when it's in context to give you the strength to make you know, a clear, intentional, conscious decision to be involved at some level. Uh, even in the home, I was just telling some people the other day that parents can do a lot. We have we have such young parents today. They're, they're really raising a generation of children, young boys and girls who are in danger just for being black. And their parents are in danger just for being black. But empowering them to 
you know, raise a generation that's aware, that's that's not defined by the spin in the information cycle, but has something that can counteract that, you know, a, a human testimony. Great. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I'm I'm gonna take it a little personal for a second. I, as you know, I have a, a child. He's 17 months, so he's almost a year and a half. And when I found out I was pregnant, the first prayer that I, I had, I was like, Lord, please let this be a little girl. Um, and when I found out it was a boy, I just, I started crying. And <laughs> we were in the office and we're walking out. And my husband's like, pull it together. We have a healthy baby, Lauren. We have a healthy baby. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a boy. And there was this overwhelming heaviness that came over me because I had, um, I had this realization that there were certain things I was going to have to teach my son that I would never have to teach my daughter. There were, there were these thoughts of having to protect my son and not knowing how to protect him when he was not in the company of me. Those were the real fears and the real worries that settled upon me. And so as, as we watch the news and we see overwhelming cases of police brutality and we see our young boys being shot or being beaten um, or being just not treated like a person, like a human that has the, the right to be just because they are here. How do we begin to teach our sons, our young black boys, how to operate in the society without fear or without having to always look at themselves as other? How do we, how do we begin to teach them how to do that when the reality is right now, Everyone that does not look like them sees them as other, fears them, and even sometimes our own people fear them. Well, I think it's a matter of, of educating them about who they are and, and empowering them at an early age. A lot of people shield um, their, their sons, their young black sons, away from the reality of what this society is about. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't think you need to, we need a generation of of, of young black men, boys, teenagers that are growing up paranoid, but they do need to be aware that they are seen differently in spite of the fact of their sameness, uh, that they will be the victim of racial profiling. So what to do in that situation? That compliance in a traffic stop uh, is not uh, cowardice or submission. It's, it's survival. Now, I was talking mm -hmm. to a group of young people the other day that were saying, uh, why should I have to? I shouldn't have to. You know, it's one violent, racist, uh, murderous law enforcement officer that, that, that stops you or gets involved with you. Uh, it's very difficult. I don't know the answer of how to survive that when another person is intent on brutalizing you or killing you because of the color of your skin. But there are a lot of tense situations that lead up to that where the fault is not on the, the young black male or the black man involved in it at all. It's not their fault at all. They're just dealing with someone who is caught up in fear, caught up in insecurities, caught up on steroids, caught up on drugs, caught up on racism, whatever their, whatever their dilemma is that, that, the, that this officer is having. And in most cases, they're white. But just teaching them how to survive those uh, incidences is critical. I, I tell people all the time, and I've, I've buried far too many people uh, Alexander Wilson, you know, Danny Rodriguez, just just remain Brisbane. 
so many people here locally, um, it's it's heartbreaking. Uh, but but reminding them that that their that their story is important, that 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 compliance and that testimony is key for dismantling this system of racism. And if they're dead, you know, there's there's no way for us to hear that story. So sometimes mm. swallowing pride is a matter of building a case so we can dismantle that uh, racism. But it does hurt. I can tell you as a black man who has been stopped, even as a civil rights activist, to deal with the, the pettiness and the ignorance and the hate and the jealousy and the, just the, the unjustified hostility that law enforcement has for so many black men during random stops. It, it is, it is nerve wracking. It does make you angry. And uh, I, I applaud every black man, young and old, that's able to maintain their composure and self-control in the face of so much dangerous and deadly ignorance. Man. I feel like you just gave me an entire chapter. <laughs> and uh, I feel like we have a lot, a lot more to discuss. Um, unfortunately, you know, our time is limited. But I, I would love to have you back on for another episode for us to do a part two together, because I feel like this is a topic that we can't actually stop right here. And on Authentic Voices, our, our platform is all about education and conversation. So if we're having the conversation and we're getting educated at the same time, then we can actually step out and make change. So you've, you've given us a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I, I love the fact that you said, you know, uh, we, we have to sometimes, yeah, swallow our pride a little bit so that our story can just be told. You know, and that's not something that everybody else has to do, but it's something that if we can learn to, to remember that our stories must be told, no matter what the situation is. And so it's really a life or death thing, you know, even, even when we're not on the line with a gun to our head, it is life or death because our stories are that important. They are valid and they must be heard. Well, it's like Dr. King said with nonviolence, you know, it's, it is, it is important. That is an act of nonviolence. That, that's not, it's, it's actually a proactive step. It's an act of nonviolence, and it speaks to the, the reality. That you're, that, that's why this program's important, and the conversations that you're having are important, because we aren't where we think we are. A lot of people say, we've come far, we have a long way to go. No, we haven't come very far, and race is still a hot-button issue, and it is life or death. And if we're going to be honest with our kids about how to survive it, we have to be honest with ourselves and these conversations that you're driving are, uh, they're, they're central to that. Oh. Well, thank you, Reverend Maupin, for being on today. And the conversation must continue because the solution is out there and we have to come up with it together. We have to seek for those answers together so that we can really be effective ch uh, change in our community and this in the world at large. So we have a lot of work to do. As you said, we are not where we think we are. We have work to do. So for all my listeners out there, I charge you today and implore you to begin to think in yourself, what is the story in me that must be told? Where am I today? And how can I make a step to begin to share that story and say, yes, I too am valid. My voice is valid and my story is valid. Let's get out there. Let's make a change. Thank you, Reverend Maupin. And I will have you on again for part two next week. Thank you, Lauren. God bless you. You too. 
Thank you for tuning in to Chapter 1, Black in the Cycle, Episode 1 with Reverend Jared Maupin. Please tune in again next week where we will continue our conversation with Reverend Jared Maupin around the issues of police brutality and redefining the image of the black man. And remember this, conversation plus education equals change.